0: And worship team, it's great to hold up Christ before us. Good morning, everyone. We are continuing our study this morning of the doctrine of sin. And we suggested that there would be three questions that we would answer. Two weeks ago, we answered the first two What are the characteristics of sin? We defined it, and the consequences condemnation and corruption, this morning we're going to get to the heart and soul of our Christian experience, and that is the Christian in relation to sin. Today we're going to address two primary things, our struggle with sin and our resources in overcoming sin. I'm going to start by asking a question, how do you feel about sin? You hear that word. What resonates? Do you say, well, I enjoy it, like sinfully delicious chocolate? Do, do you hate it? Do, do you identify with the idea of struggle? And then, what does the Bible teach about our resources in overcoming sin? How, what are you doing about sin? Just, mm. So, let's pray, and then we'll... We'll look at the scriptures today. Father, today as we continue to study your word, we are so thankful that the word of God is alive, it's powerful, and for the Christian, it is our our food, it is our rocks, our meat. It's the very um, substance of what will build us up and change us. But we know that that happens as the Holy Spirit works in our lives and as we receive the word of God with humility and eagerness, it saves us to the uttermost. Thank you that as Christians we can gather around the scriptures and we can learn, be exhorted, reminded, challenged, encouraged or convicted, whatever we need to hear. Thank you that you love your church and you're building up this church to Christian maturity as we become growing disciples who make disciples. And we ask that you will accomplish those things today in our lives and we pray for those who are struggling as the aftermath of the tragedy this week in New York City. And we pray for those who are persecuted throughout the world and we pray for our country as well that you will bring righteousness and the church would be revived and that even our church would make a significant impact as we gather to be edified and we scatter to evangelize and build one another up and serve in the body of Christ in Jesus name amen all right let's begin with this question of the struggle of sin it's 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 sort of a given that we do struggle with sin if you don't have a bible we have plenty of extras just raise your hand if you're visiting with us we'd love to give you a bible hope that you will become familiar with it learn we'll teach you how to study it and how to apply it to your life but 1 John has an interesting verse. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, Christians, we come to the Lord and we're forgiven, but then it's God's desire, not just that we're forgiven, that, but that we, that we grow, that we change. It's not enough to slap a bumper sticker on our car and say, hey, I'm not sinless, But God's saying, as you grow, I want you to sin less. Recognizing that we'll never be perfect, it adds, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So perhaps this this idea of a struggle with sin is best kind of captured in Hebrews 12 when the author talks about running the race and fixing our eyes on Jesus. He said, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Some translations say, and you're striving against sin. Somehow, becoming a Christian, I no longer want to indulge and delight in sin, but I want to endure and fight against sin. And so, how does that happen? Well, let's kind of analyze the reason for our struggle. Before people become Christians, there are three spheres or or influences that that sort of held us in its power. When we are rescued out of that, they become our enemies. So Paul describes the typical unbeliever. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, disconnected from God. Now, as a result of that, he said, you formally walked according to the course of this world. So unbelievers, they live according to the system and mindset and, and, and lifestyle of people without God. Okay, so before we were saved, we walked according to the world. We, we did as the world did. We thought as the world did. We valued what the world valued. But then the Bible says, when you become a Christian, don't be conformed to this world. Don't love the world. Come out from the world. Okay, that's one enemy. The second one is Satan. He says, You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. And there's this teaching in the New Testament that Satan. Himself has an influence on all unbelievers. He doesn't make us sin, but the Bible says we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of Satan. In Acts 26, it says when you become a Christian, you're delivered from the domain of darkness. You turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. But then the third enemy, he says, and beside that, we also formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. So there's three enemies, the world, the devil, and our flesh, and we're gonna talk about that, but we indulge the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and how did God feel about that? Well, he says, by nature, you are children of wrath. In other words, we deserved his wrath, even as everybody does, the rest of us. But I want you to think about those three enemies. Two of them are external. The world and Satan are on the outside, But the flesh is on the inside, kind of opening the gate to let the world and Satan in. So what we're going to do this morning is we want to hone in on this primary struggle with sin, that's inward. The Bible calls this inward struggle the flesh. It's a frequent word in the New Testament. I want to give you a definition as you think about the flesh. The flesh is an inward disposition So it's a a mindset and disposition, and it's actually a force within people that manifests itself with desires that are against God's will. So it's not a neutral, it's not just like, well, it's just my human nature. It's an antagonistic opposition. It's a disposition that's in rebellion against God. Now, one of the primary terms that the Bible uses to kind of manifest this disposition is lust, because the word lust means to desire something, so when, when we think about the lusts of the flesh, you, you can sort of think about this, there's this disposition and force within people that wants what it wants, the flesh wants what it wants, doesn't matter what God wants, doesn't matter what God says, if I don't like this, I'm not doing it. God wants me to do this, doesn't matter. I want this and I want it now. So John describes this whole setup. He says, everything that's in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, pride of life, it's not from God, it's from the world. So, so, so when I'm reading my New Testament, I keep reading about the lusts of the flesh and I'm told, wage war, don't, don't give in to the lusts of the flesh, we really need to stop and think about, it. okay, what exactly does that mean? What is this disposition, what is this force That's at work within me called the flesh. So let's start with how the Bible describes unbelievers in relation to the flesh. So this is how we're born. Unbelievers are dominated by this force within them. They are enslaved to the the flesh, this disposition, and they consequently indulge the flesh. They indulge these sinful desires. They really cannot overcome the flesh. It's impossible. So Paul says this about unbelievers, those who are according to the flesh. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. They think about what they want and what they want, and the flesh wants what it wants. Not what God wants. And the mind set on the flesh, the mind that says, I want what I want, is hostile towards God because it doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's na- not able to do so. so. So what you think about this? Hostile toward God does not necessarily mean I hate God. It just means I want what I want. So I don't really worry about what God wants. And even if I did, I'm not going to subject myself to the law of God. I'm not even able to. So that's why the flesh, I've defined it as not just a disposition, but it's a force. It's a very strong dominating force within the lives and minds of unbelievers even the nicest most religious person is in the flesh you say okay so if that's the case then that explains why unbelievers as Paul says lived in the lust of their flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind so As I go through my life, I want what I want. The flesh wants what it wants. Well, God says you shouldn't do that. Well, it doesn't matter what God says. I want that. That makes me feel good, or this is my escape, or that's who I am, right? So, but what about the Christian? Do we just continue to live under the dominance of the flesh? So, so you might want to stop and ask yourself at this point, well, how would I know if I'm giving into and being dominated by the flesh. Well, the desires of the flesh manifest themselves in the deeds of the flesh. So inside of me is a disposition that desires what it wants, regardless of what God says. But if I, if I am giving into these lusts of the flesh, it's going to lead to what the Bible calls deeds of the flesh. So I can't see the lusts of the flesh but I can see what it looks like when I am in the flesh and giving myself over and indulging these desires. And Paul sort of categorizes these into broad strokes. So the first area is you can look at a person's sexuality and their, and, and their mindset and their outlook on sex. He goes, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality, which, which all have to do primarily with sexual sins for the most part, okay? Okay. Now, for some people, they would be like, what are you talking about? That old-fashioned book says you can't sleep with someone until you're married. That's stupid, right? But the Bible speaks of immorality, sexual sins, fornication, adultery, pornography, same-sex, self-sex. All of these things are manifestations of being controlled by and giving in to the flesh, okay? Okay? And let's face it, there are a lot of people who are completely enslaved in indulging this. Now, as Christians, of course we're going to struggle, and we're going to talk about this, but just thinking big picture. And then the next two are interesting, idolatry. So when my life is dominated by other loves apart from God. Now, now, of course we all struggle with that, but there's a difference between struggling and indulging it. And then the word sorcery is really interesting because... The Greek word here is pharmakia, which in the New Testament came from a word that has to, had to do with mind-altering substances. We get the word pharmacies. There's nothing wrong with pharmaceuticals, but I would suggest that because that was so closely related to witchcraft and they would use these mind-altering substances that maybe we could go down the road of saying, is smoking weed a neutral thing? You're like, well, I, I do it medicinally, you know? <laughs> But when you start to be mind-altering substances just because you feel like it, as opposed to saying, hey, this is a medicinal thing, that might be something to think about. And then, then, then Paul says, now let's think about relationships. Here's another way that you might, f- might kind of explore how you're doing in relationship to the flesh. How do you do with other people? Like we could start with your home life. What, what goes on in your house And you're like, oh, you wouldn't believe the the monsters I live with. Well, not so much how they act, but how do you react? Okay, Or at work, or with your relatives, or with your friends. I mean, how do you relate to other people? Do these things characterize your life? Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger? You go, wait a minute, that's just the way my people are. You know, we shout it out, but we love each other. I'm going, wait, no. These are manifestations of the flesh. Disputes, dissensions, faction. And you go, I can't help it. I'm just around a lot of stupid people. Everywhere I go, they're stupid. And you go, but wait a minute. If everywhere you go, there's relational conflict. Ding, ding, ding. That's probably you being dominated by the flesh. And these deeds are being manifested. You can't get along. And you're always unfriending. And there's drama and there's fighting and, and friction among family members. And, but thankfully, praise the Lord, this doesn't happen in the church. Can you imagine if this stuff came into the church and Christians got jealous and angry and wouldn't forgive each other? Right? And then he says, what about drunkenness and carousing? You're like, yeah, man, my, my college campus was voted party school of the northeast. You're going, no. These are the deeds of the flesh. These are the things that bring down God's wrath. Okay? So, so as, as you read this list, I think we all say, wow, you know, I struggle with some of those things. But there's a difference between saying, I struggle with some of these things and going, hey, how'd you get my biography? Right? So, notice how Paul ends this. He goes, I'm going to forewarn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, He's not saying those who struggle with these things. He's going those who practice such things. You're like, oh, yeah, me and my girlfriend, we've been living together for 15 years. You know, what's a big deal? Just a piece of paper, fornicator. Oh, yeah, of course I get drunk. I mean, come on. So, you know, good brew, good brew out there, you know? Um, just Just a lifestyle. Well, yeah, I lie. I mean, everybody lies, right? It's just this dominating mindset and lifestyle that's characterized by these manifestations. Now, we don't go, now that we're Christians, we don't even know what you're talking about here. But, but we're struggling against that. And we're going, all right, so my, my battle is with the flesh. And you go, well, great, Tom. If God wants me to overcome sin, is there any hope? If the flesh is this powerful force and disposition within me, I'm toast, right? No. There's incredible hope for Change. And so this leads to, as I said, we're only going to talk about two things, our struggle and then God's resources. Okay, God has not simply said, all right, listen, I know that by nature you've inherited the Adamic corruption that that is this strong force that wants to dominate you. Now I forgave you. Don't do it anymore. I mean, the flesh popped its ugly head as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, you got Cain and Abel, and Cain wants to kill Abel. And God says, hey, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to rule over you, but you must master it. So does God just leave us up in heaven and say, figure this out? No. Number one, I have to know that the Bible teaches us God has decisively dealt with the flesh. Okay? He didn't just smack the flesh and say, stop it. The Bible says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That's strong language with its passions and desires. What does that mean that, that, that I've crucified the flesh? You're like, Brother Alan, I still struggle with sin. Okay, I, I get it, and we're coming to that. But this is important. This is not something to glance over like, well, yeah, yeah, I know it says that, but what? No, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. So what exactly does that mean to have crucified the flesh? Through the gospel, Christ's death accomplished more than just forgiveness. He did not just die for my sins to shed his blood. But what scripture teaches is that when we become Christians, somehow in God's powerful, mysterious way, we are crucified with Christ. And something fundamentally different happens inside of us. Now, you didn't feel this when you got saved. You didn't go, whoa, I think I just got crucified. Okay, this is something you learn from Scripture. This is what God teaches us. He says we shouldn't continue in sin. God forbid. If we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, in other words, we have this union with him, we've died with him, certainly we'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, here's the key, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, was crucified with him. Now, what does that mean, my old self? Well, well, that was your unbelieving self who was dominated by the flesh, okay? So it would be safe to say that when you became a Christian, you just had a happy funeral. You are fundamentally someone new, okay? You're not just oh, I'm, I'm in, like, you are a new person, Augustine said it well, he struggled with indulging his flesh sexually, and when he came to Christ, one of his old girlfriends was trying to get his attention, walking down the street, and she kept saying, Augustine, it is I, she, she used her grammar well, it is I, and he turned around, and he said, it's no longer I, right, so, so, God is telling us in the Bible that we were decisively crucified with Christ and purposefully in order that our body of sin, now I think that phrase body of sin here is probably synonymous with, with the flesh. In order that our flesh might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The problem is that I don't think this is a, 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 the best translation when it says this phrase, done away with, okay, the Greek word there can, can be translated rendered powerless. Because if you were to say to me, hey, Tom, your flesh is done away with, I'd be like, it's not my experience. But if you, would, if you were to say, hey, when I died with Christ, my old self was crucified, and now I'm principally a new person so that the flesh is no longer the dominating force in your life so that we don't have to be a slave to sin. I'm going, now you're talking. So what do I do with that? Believers are no longer slaves to their flesh. Sin no longer holds that same power. Now you might say, that might feel like it for you, Brother Allen, but not for me. Now listen, this is what God says. God says that when you became a Christian, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But, but he says to every Christian, not just good Christians, you are not in the flesh but you are in the spirit. He says in Romans 7, while we were in the flesh, but now he's going, but we're not in the flesh, we're in the spirit. We're living this new realm of having been crucified and raised with Christ and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. Just as a side note here, there are Christians who are teaching that you receive the Holy Spirit sometime after your conversion. This is frequently found in charismatic and some Pentecostal circles, where, where they will say to you, are you a Christian? You go, oh yeah. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And you're like, I told you I'm a Christian. They go, no, no, no. You have to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And You go, well, well I, what's that mean? Well, here's how you'll know. You'll speak in tongues, okay? Some of you have encountered this. If you hear anyone ask you that, okay, Turn to this verse and say, I am a Christian. I belong to Christ. So please stop asking me if I have the Holy Spirit. Because Romans 8, 9 says this, If any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Does that make sense? So there's no such thing as being a Christian and not having the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit at conversion." You're sealed by the Spirit. You're indwelled by the Spirit. You may not have felt anything, okay? And you do not need to speak in tongues to have some sense of certainty that you've received the Spirit, okay? In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, not everyone speaks in tongues, all right? So let's settle that in your mind. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit. We all have the Spirit if we're believers, okay? So having said that, I'm no longer held in the same power to the flesh, You go, yeah, that's good pie in the sky, Pastor, but why then do we still struggle with these sinful desires? The flesh flesh feels alive and well in me, okay? Well, let's think this through. God has not removed the desires of the flesh. He has broken the power of the flesh. He's crucified the flesh. He's, He's made us new people but he has not removed the desires of the flesh, okay? And so what Christians do is they go, okay, well, if if, if I used to be dominated by the flesh, and now I'm a Christian, then I must have two natures now. I have the old nature, my sinful nature, and my new nature. And so they sort of bifurcate into almost kind of, almost like a little bit, not a schizophrenic, but I got these two, Two guys inside of me, two natures, and I starve one and I feed the other. I don't think that's a good way to think about this struggle with the flesh, okay? And I'm not coming up with some heretical new way to look at it, okay? There are some Christians that go, we just have two natures, old and new. I think a better way to look at it, and this is a common view among reform circles, is to look at it this way. We don't have two natures. We're new creatures in Christ. You are one new man in Christ. Okay? God has crucified the flesh. He has regenerated you. He has given you a new heart. He has written his law on your heart, and he is causing you to desire his commandments. But that does not mean that as a new creature that I don't struggle with the desires of the flesh. So, rather than say, my old nature, I got these two natures in there, I think it might be more appropriate, even though the NIV will use the word, your sinful nature, it might be better to just say, my flesh is the remaining sin that's in me. Now, you might say, oh, you're splitting hairs. Well, maybe, maybe not. I think it's better to just, to look at yourself as, I'm not just a forgiven sinner who's got this extra guy inside of me, my I'm, I'm new nature and my old nature, I am a new creature in Christ. Forgiven, crucified, raised, and dwelled by the Spirit of God. But God has allowed within my body a principle of remaining sin. And because as long as I'm in this life, I still have remaining sin in me, I will always struggle with the desires of the flesh. They never go away. Okay? I will always battle against. These desires to do what I want to do, to be selfish, to indulge myself, to live in opposition to God. So here's here's a passage that I think might help us to kind of recognize that there's still a struggle. Paul says, "Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh." Now he's talking to Christians here, so he goes, "Look, you're a Christian. Yeah, you're going to still have desires of the flesh." So. Yeah, you're going to want to go to that bar and get drunk. You're going to want to go, I don't need this old lady. I'm going to go find a new woman. We all have hateful, lustful thoughts, ideas, selfishness. So when these desires begin to, to well up within me, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and then you won't carry out those desires. Your life will not be characterized as a habitual practice of the deeds of the flesh. Does that make sense? Yes, there is a struggle within the flesh that's this desire against the spirit. Now, I don't think that's my old nature. I just think that's remaining sin within me. It's in opposition to the Holy Spirit's work in me as a new creature in Christ. And there's this struggle going on here going, man, pastor, I get it. I, I, I feel it. And, and exactly, we all feel it, okay? So how do I, how do I deal with these desires of the flesh? Like, I'm not even going to get out to my car. Where I'm going to, I'm going to just, you know. In fact, what were you at my house yesterday, or on the way to church? Did you hear me just screaming at the kids, "I'll tear your leg off a beach with it"? And then I'm like, "Hello, brother." It's like, is it just a joke? And there's no principal gospel power to change. No, we'll never completely overcome the flesh in this life. But by God's grace, we struggle. We grow, and are you ready for this word, Pastor John? We change. Where have we heard that word? How people change. You're like, is that what that study is? I thought it was for runway models. Wow. How people change. God's word gives us hope and promises and power for change. And if you missed the boat and you're like, can't come Sunday night. I can't come Tuesday night. I can't come Wednesday morning. Can't come Thursday morning. I can't come to one of those studies. Um, I would really encourage you to consider how important it is to to study this very idea of growing and changing through the resources of the gospel. So, what are we going to do? By God's grace, through His resources, we are now learning to not yield to the flesh. But the last thing that we need is for somebody to say, stop it. First Peter 2, he says, I urge you as, as strangers in this world to abstain from fleshly lusts because they war against your soul. And you go, I know that, Peter. But how do I abstain from fleshly lusts? How do I not give in to these continual struggles? Well, I think the, the New Testament gives three principal things that we can do to overcome the desires of the flesh. Now, now notice I say overcome. I didn't say to eradicate. Anyone who promises you that you will come to a point where you don't struggle, just go, please stop talking. Because the Bible doesn't hold that out as a promise that I won't feel the lust of the flesh. But it does hold out a promise that as I'm learning to walk by the Spirit, I'm not gonna be dominated by the flesh. I'm not gonna carry out consistently the desires of the flesh. So let's talk about some of these things that we can do. Number one, I think the Bible is very clear that we need to believe the gospel promises and yield ourselves daily to God, okay? This has a lot to do with basically how you view yourself, okay? There's a, there's a lot of Christians out there that are just saying, you know, I'm such a terrible wretch and I'm just basically a sinner who God is like, you make me sick, but because Jesus died for you, I forgive you, We are not just forgiven sinners, okay? So God, after telling us that the the flesh has been crucified and you've been raised up, he then says, I want you to begin to believe that. Verse 11, even so, now this is a commandment in the New Testament. This is an imperative. Consider yourselves. You're like, oh, I consider myself all the time. But what do you consider about yourself when you consider yourself? Start considering yourselves to be dead to sin. But now consider yourself. Believe the gospel promise. Well, I don't feel that way. I feel like, you know, punching them in the neck when I'm on my steroids. And I'm like, but that's not who you are. Believe the gospel promises that you and I are dead to sin but alive to God. Pray over them. Cling to them. Rehearse them. Remind yourself As you're entrenched in these old habits where you're like, this is the way I've always done it. And God's going, but we're not going to keep going down that road because you're alive to God. And so then I use the the next word, yield. Okay, There's there's this active, decisive, ongoing surrender to God. So here's the deal. This here body that is a new creature in Christ... Still has remaining sin. And remaining sin will be glad to borrow your hands, feet, eyes, heart, mind, private parts for its purposes. So Paul personifies the flesh as Mr. Sin. He goes, listen, don't let Mr. Sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let him back on the throne to dominate you. Don't allow him to borrow your hands to be using them for what they should. Don't allow him to drag your eyes into, into watching that thing or your ears to indulging your mind or your feet to take you to that place or your fingers to tap out that message or to go on your mouse and bring up that or to go and be with that person or to indulge your flesh. Don't yield your members to sin anymore. You're like, yeah, but you don't understand. When my spouse provokes me, before I know it, Man, I'm just saying stuff. Well, then you're putting your tongue on loan to sin. You're not responsible for how they act, but how you react. And so God says, don't yield your members to sin. Don't go on presenting your body as instruments of unrighteousness. But instead, new way we're going to do this. Present yourselves to God. Okay? And you're like, oh, Brother Alan, I did that at camp when I was 12. No, this is daily. This is Daily, I go, God, I'm a new creature. I'm alive unto you. And so today, I present myself to you and I want to be used by you. I want you to use my hands and feet. I want to bless others and serve others and not be dominated by the old way that I normally did things. Okay, so that's number one, believing the gospel promises and yielding myself on a regular basis to God and saying God would you come and fill me and strengthen me and use me for you. Number 2. Even so, we're still going to stumble along the way. We're going to sin. Right? I think it was one of the Puritans said the older I get, sometimes I feel like I sin less and I repent more. And I think what he meant by that is not so much that he When he said I sin less, maybe it's these bold, active sins, but he realized that on the inside he's continually growing. So the second thing is I have to recognize that with my struggle with sin, that I am going to sin. Okay, this is not a license to say, let it all hang out, because after all, right? But this is to say, even on my finest day, if we say that we're out sin, without sin, we deceive ourselves. So when I become aware that I have given into the flesh and I have sinned. God tells me, turn and confess. If we confess our sins, and to confess your sins is to tell on yourself, to agree with God, to, to admit what you did. Don't waste your time going, please forgive me for my sins, because I can imagine that what God would say is, what sins? What are you talking about? Is there something we need to talk about? Confession is when you tell on yourself, Father, I lusted. Father, I lied. Father, I... I neglected to, to give or to spend time with you, or I was selfish toward my wife. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, but that, that confession is accompanied by a, a willful desire to leave off of that sin. It's not just like, let me just get some, can I get some credit, God? By the way, I'm going to be doing this tonight. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And so 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 the, the Puritans used to call it mortifying the flesh, like putting off the old man. So as I as I continually confess my sins and repent, it is with a resolve that I don't want to continue to do that. Right? And sometimes you go, oh I can't stop. And it's really, do you really want to? What measures are you taking? What measures am I taking? What drastic things am I am I willing to say? If my right hand's causing me to sin, Jesus says, cut it off. And you're like, I'm not getting rid of that. I love that. I mean, and I'm not going to stop hanging around them. I love going to that place. It's like a real determined mourning that if this is sin and it's it's dragging me down, I want to confess it and ask God to help me to repent and turn away from it. And you go, yeah, that's basically what I do. But all by myself. And I'm going, that's not going to work we need to actively fight against sin by practicing spiritual disciplines okay so so god has said look you're crucified and you're raised and you you have my spirit within you but there's some disciplines that i want you to engage in in this warfare against sin the first one is and, and for the sake of time we'll talk about how these disciplines are are sort of sowing to the spirit I'm, I'm I'm developing these patterns and these habits of grace that strengthen me as a Christian. They don't weaken me towards remaining sin that is in me. If I sow to the flesh, I reap corruption. If I sow to the spirit, it it reaps eternal life. So spiritual disciplines are these habits of grace that foster victory. So we'll just talk about three. Number one, the first discipline involves a regular interaction with scripture. Now, I use the word interaction because I could say Bible reading, but there's far more than that. Listening to preaching, maybe downloading sermons or reading Christian books, reading our Bible. How about this? Singing our Bible. Where's Brother Benjamin? How about this? Let the word of Christ dwell within you. Thy word have I hidden in my notebook. Thy word have I treasured in my heart. So I'm interacting with scripture in a way that I'm taking it in, and it's, and it's having an influence. I'm able to think about what I'm learning, and then I sing about it. With all wisdom, we teach and admonish one another. You know, I find myself singing the songs that we sing in church. D- do you find that? You know, listen to some Christian music. You're like, oh, no, I just got elevator music in my mind, or, you know, dentist office music. Well, it's an engagement. I want to be filled with the scriptures, I want to be thinking about them, and singing about them, and reading them, and and just letting them come inside of me, and meditating on them, secondly, is prayer, prayer is an essential discipline, and this is not a sermon on prayer, but it's a sermon on the necessity of prayer, if we're going to fight against sin, Jesus said, give us our daily bread, as we just read, so this isn't a prayer you pray once a month, Lord, lead me not into temptation, So I'm actually actively praying against the flesh. Help me not to give in to the flesh. Deliver me from the evil one. Help me to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn to pray individually. Some of you are like, I wouldn't know what to do. I I tried praying one time, and I got bored after 30 seconds, right? That's what discipleship's about. If you don't know how to pray, we'll help you. None of us are graduates from the school of prayer, but some of you are in kindergarten, and some of you have moved beyond that. And, And there is such a thing as learning to pray. Jesus' disciples didn't learn to pray overnight. They watched him. They're like, that guy prays a lot. Hey, could you teach us how to pray? And they didn't figure it out immediately, but read the book of Acts, and you're like, looks like they were starting to get it. That prayer is a big deal. Learning to pray individually, and even corporately. I mean, I really hope that most of you couples are praying together. And not just for Uncle Joe's phlebitis, Aunt Betty's gingivitis, Barry's diverticulitis, but spiritual things too, like God, help me to be more patient. Help our kids to be kept from evil. Help us to grow. Help us to love. Help us to feel and work through the power of the Holy Spirit as we experience victory. And finally, the last discipline is community and accountability. If you're going to grow and if I'm going to overcome sin, I need other people in my life, Right? There was someone in the first service that hasn't been here for five years, right? And they walked up to me after they said, boy, did I need to hear this because I felt that pull taking me away. And for some reason, I was supposed to be here today, right? Out of church for years. Take care, brothers, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What I mean by community here is not watching the Eagles game together and eating hoagies going, yo, dude, what's up, man? I love cars in Pennsylvania. That's fun. But that's not Christian fellowship where you're going, how can I pray for you? Could you pray for me about this? It's the idea of somebody saying, you know, I, I'm concerned about this in your life. Can, can, can you help me with this? It's people who love us enough to be there to comfort us, to correct us to encourage us, because I'm going to tell you right now, the flesh is powerful, and you know this, and nobody ends up hardened and falling away overnight, it's it's a gradual thing, as you give in to the flesh and these little things, and it gains momentum, so this morning, I want to encourage you, some of you may go, man, I am just dominated by the flesh, right, if you're truly a Christian, God hasn't thrown you under the bus, he's not like, I'm done with you, and you are just, forget it but you need to make some significant changes and repent and say, Lord, I know that's not what you have for me. You want me to walk in the Spirit. You want me to begin to have the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm willing to surrender and start these disciplines and confess and and engage this wonderful victory and joy, right? And some of you are in a struggle because you're going, this is making me uncomfortable and I don't want to change, right? And that's where you principally have to search your soul and say, if you don't want to change and you want to live in the flesh, then you got to think long and hard. Are you in or out? Do you want to be a child of God, changed by God, or do you say, you know what? No, I just just want to be what I want to be, right? I'm going to go to Burger King and have it my way. So I plead with you, if you're not yet a Christian, come and talk to us. We'll tell you how you can find full and free forgiveness through the gospel. But if you are a Christian, don't look around here going, man, if only I could have perfect victory like everybody else. We are all strugglers here. Your marriage may be in shambles. You may have substance abuse. You may have anger. All, you name it. The flesh is always the flesh. But there's victory in Christ. Could somebody say amen? There's power through prayer. And we have these wonderful gospel promises that we are going to grow and that God is going to help us to walk in the Spirit so we don't have to live a life completely defeated by the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the Word of God has, has spoken. The Spirit of God has spoken. And I pray that the things that I have said that are clear and true from Scripture will fall on fertile, fruitful ground. And that each one of us, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit will be transformed It's not a simple one-and-done message where we're all godly saints. But, Lord, you have spoken to us, and we praise you that you have dealt with the flesh. And we look forward to seeing how the Spirit is going to bring about fruit in our lives and growing disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.